Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me at a uh, surprisingly long island in this kitchen is uh, my good buddy Rob Pozzola. Rob, what's going on, man? Doing well, man. Good to see you. It's great to see you. I haven't seen you since um, the Sloan Analytics Conference a couple of years ago. We've been yeah. trying to... I've been coming in and out of Toronto. I've been trying to get uh, a podcast going together, but for every reason, our, our schedules have always kind of conflicted. So Yeah, I know I travel a lot too, so... Uh... I, I, yeah, I remember last time you were in town, we had messaged and it just didn't work out, but good to see you this time. Well, I'm excited about this. I mean, you're kind of relatively fresh off of a uh, being cited as a source in <laughs> Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts, which uh, I'm glad to see your head didn't explode from the fame and you're actually willing to come chat on the podcast. Which is funny because I first met you at Sloan a couple years yeah. ago. I had met Elliot before, but he doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. This is when I was still interning at The Score when I first started. And I think Elliot was still there, or at least I'd seen him in the building a couple times and, and interacted with him. But I met Elliot officially officially formally introduced myself uh at sloan last year and we had a little bit of a off the record conversation for about 15 20 minutes about uh sports gambling i guess the name stuck in his mind right uh, to reach out to me when uh when the news broke would be what about a month ago now yeah and so he referred to you as a semi-pro sports better and right now before we started recording you actually referred to yourself as such i i do because i i mean that's the fair term i i I was betting on sports for a living, and that was my exclusive sole form of income, right. which would be a fully professional sports better, but I'm not anymore. I do some consulting. I have other gigs on the side that lead to income. So it is a, a semi-professional uh, you know, job. So um, yeah, I mean, that that's the, the right term. And he asked me, I mean, Elliot, I, he didn't pull that out of thin air. He, yeah. he said, what could I call you? And I said, and he kind of laughed when he heard that, but, but that's what I tell people I am. I'm a semi-pro sports better. Do you feel like, um, cause I feel like we're going to talk about this, but you know, sports betting is becoming more, uh, 
I guess, mainstream or socially accepted now. And it feels like, you know, more people are doing it and it's becoming more of a thing. Do you feel like those people who like have been following an indie band for years and then now it's exploding and becoming mainstream and you're like uh, so over it or you're feeling jaded by it? Or are you, are you excited about the fact that it's becoming more of a thing now? I'm not excited, no. to be completely honest. Do you feel like you. that kind of takes away your advantage a little bit? Or do you feel like you can take advantage of it more because there's going to be more novice betters? So there's, there's a number of reasons. The first and foremost, and this will sound... Um, this will sound arrogant on my part and it kind of is, but I hate the fact that there are now so many people in this gambling space who are forced to talk about sports betting, who really have no idea who they're talking about right? Uh, or what they're talking about. And they're just forced to do this for a living now, kind of been thrown into the fire. You see a lot of major networks who have not hired people from outside, but instead have converted people from existing sports into gambling writers or sports betting writers. And frankly, there's just a lot of misinformation that's out there now. And as a sports better, that is extremely frustrating to me. Um, seeing people talk like they're experts in something and really not being an expert in something. As an actual better myself, in terms of long-term edge, yeah, it's certainly concerning. More people involved in the space, um, it, it will reduce my edge over time. There will be more people competing in the same market and I mean, I, I think about that at least every week. Like, right. uh, hold on to what you have, maximize what you have right now, <laughs> and and do the most with it because these opportunities might not be available in five years. Right? Wow, it sounds like a really uh, I had a pressure point there. I feel like I uh, no, I not you, really I mean, an existential crisis. It's not, you're not the first person to ask me about it, and um, you won't be the last right. for sure. But it, it's always bothered me. And you know what? I was probably five years ago one of those people that. Um, probably irked other people because I kind of passed myself off as an expert at that time. And I realize in the span of, you know, even a few years, how much more I've learned. Right. Um, so I don't think anyone's ever, tr there, there's a very, very small amount of people that are truly experts in the field right. that really understand everything. But um, I've already seen so much misinformation. I'm a huge Twitter guy yeah. I'm on social all the time. Uh, I see the gambling articles that are posted and I read them and I, and I see the retweets and the amount of people that are actually reading these. And I'm like, oh my God, these are, these are like sheep being led to the slaughter. Like right. They have no idea that what they're reading is complete misinformation. So that, that, I mean, that's the most frustrating part on my end, but as a better, that works in my advantage, to yeah. my advantage as well. The more information that's out there, the larger edge I'll have over time. So, I mean, it's sort of a catch 22. It rubs me the wrong way, but it probably benefits me as well. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show um, is because obviously, I, I believe it was like late October now that NHL announced its partnership with MGM. And that was obviously a big storyline. And I don't know, you can correct me on this, but I believe the NBA was the first to wade into these waters. And since then, the MLB has joined as well. Is that correct? I'm not 100% sure on the timeline, okay. but all three. Yeah, are, all three have. Well, yeah. So anyways, I mean... Uh, <laughs> It, it was a big topic of discussion and I kind of wanted to get you on just to, because I do feel like there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of people talking out of their ass. And I feel like at least you and I can have a, a an intelligent or at least kind of well-researched conversation about this and, and hopefully um, shed some more light on it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because in the grand scheme of things, like I brought up, I think that I remember there was once a time where like I was I was betting on sports as, with my brother and we were kind of doing like online stuff. And when you tell people about it, they'd raise their eyebrows or they'd kind of look at you like you were, I don't know, some sort of a junkie or, 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 you know, there was this whole stigma to it. And now it feels like, and I think fantasy sports goes a long way to adding to this. Um, there's just so much appetite for uh, sports gaming and sports betting. And 
it makes a ton of sense that the NHL would finally jump into this. Like, I don't know, what was the reason behind it taking so long? Was it just sort of that moral quandary of kind of like protecting, quote unquote, the integrity of the game? Or, or is I, I that pretty much it? I think it was, really. I mean, I, I sat at Sloan in Boston last year and listened to a panel with Gary Bettman talk about how this is something that the NHL is not exploring. They do not want to get behind sports betting. And then six months later, completely different story, and they're in. And I mean, part of it is... The NHL and all the pro sports, they're recognizing this as an opportunity. This is an opportunity to make money. It's an opportunity to increase fan engagement. That's what it's all about. And if people can bet on a game and that's going to increase their interest in the game, then it's silly for the NHL not to to partner up with someone and and accept the fact that, A, this is already happening. It really is. People are already betting on the games regardless. But now we can make it sort of morally acceptable and bring it to the forefront can do all sorts of things i mean we can start increasing the prop wagering for a game live betting from in the actual arenas and so right. on and so forth so at the end of the day i mean they're not dumb this is an opportunity for them to make money and at the end of the day they're just driving a bunch of fan engagement so uh I, i've just found i found it so interesting how quickly leagues were quickly took a stance on no yeah. gambling is a no for us and then probably behind the scenes got into a room and said, you know what? This probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And eventually now we're seeing all these leagues come on board with it. What was it? Like, I think Bloom- Bloomberg was reporting or I guess estimating there would be like well north of like 200 million annual revenue for the NHL. And, and obviously I, I feel like that's pretty conservative, especially when you look at what the other leagues are projected to make. And it's, it's it seems like a no-brainer, especially if people are going to be doing it, you may as well like, like vet it and do it kind of under your own watch. Right. And and um, the numbers are probably a little bit conservative. conservative. People don't realize, though, how far behind the NHL is in North America right. in terms of, of total handle for sports betting, especially in the States. I mean, Canada, it's not a problem. Although in Canada, NBA is even surpassing NHL in terms of handle. People are a lot more interested in betting the NBA now, especially with the success of the Raptors. Yeah. Uh, but no especially in the United States, you look at the U.S. and total handle on hockey is extremely small. So there's an opportunity for the NHL to really bite into that market share if they do things right, if they bring more interest to the game. It's always been a little bit tougher down south than it is in the north, but mm-hmm. there's an opportunity for them to well exceed that that projection. Well, so part of the uh, announced partnership between MGM and the NHL was that the NHL will be sharing um, its proprietary game data, mm-hmm. which it's I guess, expected to roll out next year, although I feel like we've been hearing that for some time now. And I think, you know, from a practical perspective in terms of my job as an analyst in the sport, when that stuff does become publicly available, um, I think there's going to be equally, um, if not more, misleading of information, kind of misleading and misinformation being spread by people who don't understand what those numbers actually entail and how predictive they are. And, you know, we're going to have a vetting process where all these numbers are going to come publicly available. Mm -hmm. People are going to write articles and do podcasts about shot velocity and how this guy's shooting so hard Mm -hmm. compared to this other guy. And then eventually, a few years later, we're going to run a bunch of statistical uh, research experiments that show that it's actually not that useful of information. And then we're going to look back and think we were idiots for doing it. But there's going to be this window where for people and for teams using the data that are using it more properly or Mm -hmm. more safely um, to actually squeeze out value from it. For sure. I mean, but when you think about the MGM, for example, getting access to this data, right. um, the, the possibilities are, are infinite with what they can do with it. Because we know, or at least I know, that recreational bettors, the vast majority of them, they gravitate to betting options. They love to be flooded with options of uh, 
anything imaginable that they could possibly bet on. This is why the Super Bowl is so big every year because there's hundreds and hundreds of prop options. There's props, prop options that span multiple sports. Right. I mean, you can bet a team's points against LeBron James points on on a single day. Yeah. And people love that. So now all of a sudden, books have access to all this additional data. They can offer huge prop markets. Who's going to win the next face-off in this game? Yeah. Who's going to draw the next penalty in this game? And people will bet it. So from a sportsbook perspective, it completely makes sense. From a public perspective, this happens. We think that there's a metric out there that is the be-all and end-all. Corsi is an example, and now we're into the expected goals movement. For sure. These metrics have serious flaws, and the people reporting on them a lot of times do not understand them either, or or, or they don't understand the flaws with these metrics. We will get that just by nature of having access to more data. There's going to be some misinterpretations of the data. I always remember um, when Boston beat Vancouver in the Stanley Cup and Boston that year led the league in face-offs. And they had all these guys that were they were winning face-offs at an alarming clip. And the next year was like, you need to get face-off men. Yeah. Like if a team doesn't have face-off men, then you're in trouble. And But there's actually no correlation between right. face-off success and points. And it's just For sure. the, the way that that data was interpreted based on a very small sample size of one team winning a cup with a bunch of, so that's always going to be a problem regardless. Yeah. Dave Steckel, uh, <laughs> used that for a, a glorious multi, uh, multi-year career in the right. NHL. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm already foreseeing, like, I think shot velocity and I think skating velocity are going to be two stats that, you know, I mean, they're, they're descriptive. And I think for a casual fan, it might be fascinating, especially on an in-game broadcast to kind of visualize how fast the puck's moving or how fast some of these guys are moving. But yeah, ultimately, I'm sure we're going to find that it might actually be like negatively correlated, like maybe shooting the puck slower might be more deceiving for opposing goalies to try and stop. Sure. And there's always the risk, too, of information overload as well. I mean, we... I love to consume data. That's what I do. I, I, I love it. The more data points I have to work with, it's great. A lot of people don't feel the same way about that. A lot of people are hesitant to move over to analytics or believe in analytics. A lot of people just want what's important and they don't want uh, everything available to them. So you always run the risk of that. Um, I mean, it's not a data thing, but you remember back in the day where they, they had the puck tracker yep. with like, and it was just a complete change in the ideology of how the game was broadcast and all of a sudden people's heads blew up and they're like, <laughs> no, no, we can't do this. There's a possibility that the broadcast become overloaded with right. too much yep. where it's just like, no, this is not the hockey that I'm used to, and this is not the hockey that I want to watch, and there's a risk. So I think broadcasts, NHL, every, everybody involved has to find a happy medium of not, don't want information overload, but enough to satisfy that appetite for the people that do have that information out there. I feel like we're also kind of setting ourselves up a bit for disappointment from the perspective of, I feel like there's a certain segment of the hockey fan base that is positioning this puck tracking data that's going to come out as sort of this golden goose that it's going to reveal all the answers to us. And especially, I feel like it's people who are like pushing back a bit against Corsi and mm-hmm. shot metrics. They're going like, yeah, that stuff's junk. But once we know all this other stuff, that's really going to paint a better picture. And I'm sure it'll reveal certain things that we don't know so far, but like I'm trying to temper expectations for people, especially in the early going to not just expect that, it's going to completely change the game. Cause we're, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're probably going to find that a lot of the stuff we have right now is much more useful than some people are led to believe. Yeah, probably a lot of the, the information that's collected at a player level will probably be meaningless to be completely honest. Um, I would be very shocked if the NHL is ready for the start of next year with some 
huge database and they're tracking all these metrics like that would be very surprising to me yep. um, unless they've been building things out in secret for a long long time probably you will see a phased approach over the course of two or three years and just building on top of some basic metrics that they come out with at a player level right that's what i would are you because you obviously you work in in with football and with baseball and and and, and every sport like are you because hockey gets this rap as being way behind the times in terms of its embrace and sort of evolution of this stuff do you think that's a fair portrayal or do you think sometimes it gets a bit overblown no i think it's fair <laughs> i really do there, there there's less data available in hockey than the rest of the major sports i think part of that is just the interest level yeah. in north america and uh someone who is going to build out um a website or let use football outsiders as an example for nfl there's nothing like that for hockey right i mean there sort of is there of course manny's corsica and uh, there's the evolving hockey and yep. we're, we're, I mean, those are good sites, but they're not to the same level as other big sites that are not only uh, pumping out data, writing content around that data, deriving projections. We're starting to see more and more of that happen. But I think that's I think that's fair personally. And especially at the player level, we're yep. starting to see uh, a movement in that over hockey in the last couple of years. I think there's been some great strides, mm-hmm. um, but I still think it's a little bit behind. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's at a lower level, but just considering the AHL's sort of purpose in terms of being a pipeline for the NHL and developmental league, the fact that we don't have something as simple as time on ice for that league mm-hmm. is a bit mind-blowing to me. Uh, there, there's a lot of things. I'll give you an example. And, and uh, I know of a, an, a group that bets NHL for large amounts of dollars um, that they actually pay people to watch games and report on metrics um report on things that they feel are more important or that are not reflected in any publicly available data right yep. now. Um, that probably won't happen down the road. A couple of years from now, someone will come along and, and be publicly giving out what they need. Right. But there are people that pay major expenses every year for people to actually sit down and watch games or say, my definition of a scoring chance is much different than the definition that somebody else has as a scoring chance or a high danger scoring chance. Um, and that just doesn't happen in other sports, really. What would you like to see um, from sort of a practical use perspective, I guess, in terms of a stack? Because I know there's been so much debate about war in hockey and sort of getting one catch-all statistic that's going to be able to encapsulate a player's value. And that would obviously be useful. I'm not sure, like, from a practical, especially betting perspective, how valuable that would be. But like, just in terms of something that we don't have publicly available right now that you think would be uh, a bit of a game changer, is there anything that comes out? Um, Yes and no. So... uh Something like, so for example, Dom, I can't even pronounce his last name. Loose Loose, Loose Chicken. Yeah. He's got his game score, right? Yeah. Loose Chicken. Um, Which is a metric that he basically invented by combining a bunch of other metrics. Um, The way that I built my NHL model is very similar to the way that Dom did. Um, I wouldn't, I don't have a name for the metric that I use, but it's one that I consider to be proprietary Mm -hmm. that encompasses everything that I think uh, players should be tracked on. Uh, I'm not really comfortable going into the yeah, details, of course, but, yeah. but I, I think there is room for that type of evolution. Mm-hmm. And yes, war, I mean, kind of stealing from the baseball and, and bringing that over to hockey is another yeah. great example. And I think you'll see that evolve. And depending on who's tracking war, just right. like in baseball, you'll get uh, players uh, wins above replacement being some level on one site and some level on another site and no universal standard. And that's completely fine. Right. It really is because uh, just the same way that sites that track expected goals right now, which I think I'm aware of three, I think there's Corsica evolving hockey and money puck mm-hmm. that are tracking them live. Yeah. 
they come out to vastly different numbers. Yeah. And that was something I learned a couple of years ago when I just built my own expected goals because right. I would rather trust myself to do it than somebody else. Uh, and I get different numbers. So I, I think there's certainly room for more metrics. And I think you will see the evolution of more metrics because we have seen that in every other sport. Yeah. Um, but I think even in baseball, there isn't a universally agreed upon no. war, right? Right. It depends on what site, whether you yeah. check fan graphs or what baseball reference or yeah. whatever it is, you'll get a different number for war. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, they're both trying to, to, to measure the impact of a specific player and his level above replacement. And there is no right, at least we haven't proven there to be a right way of doing that right now. So that's okay. Um, and I think you're, you're going to see that in hockey. I really do. I, you already do, like I said, with expected goals, and you'll see it with um, all sorts of stuff. But no one can really accurately measure the value of a player right now. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's especially true. And, and my answer to the question that I posed to you would have been, uh, and I know it's not particularly exotic, but just, I feel like defensive play, especially we are, uh, so far behind in terms of, uh, evaluating and kind of capturing it. Cause obviously, I mean, there's the concept of like the best defensive play is one where nothing really happens. Right. right. So it's like, how do you put that into a number? And obviously if a guy's constantly on the ice and nothing's really happening in his zone, that's generally a good sign that he's in the right position and he's stopping stuff from happening. But just in terms of that, and then sort of goalie play, especially, I mean, we've had some advancements with goals saved above uh, replacement and stuff like that with the man he does, which is great. But I feel like there's still leaps and bounds to be made there just beyond like looking at a guy's save percentage. I mean, at least we've come away from goals against average and wins. So right. like we're, making strides but maybe it's not as happening as fast as some people would like right and maybe i mean it could be overload too maybe measuring even strength save percentage is an accurate indicator of of, of things i mean i'm not saying that it is but right um I, I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to put my uh to remember back to last year i think it was tobias enstrom was injured mm -hmm. yeah um and my model sees enstrom as having a minimal impact against a betting line and when he was announced out for a game uh betting line didn't move but you talk to Jets fans and they'll be like, this is insane. Like he has such a massive impact on the game. So that goes to show what you're talking about with the defensive play. Maybe it's not measured properly right now. And maybe I'm not measuring it properly. And maybe betting markets are not accounting for that because there's not good enough data available yet on somebody's defensive impact in hockey. Goalies, you see it all the time too, especially in betting markets um, where I will have a, I'll give you an example, Pittsburgh, for example, with Matt Murray and Casey DeSmith. Mm -hmm. I think Matt Murray is a worse goalie than right. Casey DeSmith. Yeah. I think Matt Murray had a really good run in the playoffs a few years back, yep. a Cam Ward-esque run, mm. I would say, uh, but since then has not done a whole lot of anything. But when he is back for the Pittsburgh Penguins, which looks like it's happening now, he's coming back, um, the betting market will value him as higher than DeSmith. Right. And... I don't, I don't think that's right. And yeah. I, I, there's just so many ways to measure goalie impacts now that I'll take my personal stance on what I believe is right. But sometimes the market disagrees. Sometimes the general public disagrees and it's tough. I mean, we will, we will get there at some point, but we're, we're nowhere close yet. Well, I feel like, and some of it is definitely fair. I mean, I think people generally believe that one player doesn't have nearly as big of an impact in hockey as in basketball, obviously, and especially like, let's say a quarterback in the NFL. But I mean, at the same time, I do feel like sometimes we go a bit too extreme in the other direction where we devalue uh, superstars and individual contributions in the purpose of the whole team picture. And, you know, I look at 
I mean, look at a guy like Connor McDavid, for example, right now, just what he's doing in Edmonton and sort of this singular tour de force performance by him. Like, do you think we do a good enough job of capturing um, just how valuable one game changer can be? And that's obviously an extreme considering he's by far the best player in the world. But I think even like a guy like I, I was doing a podcast today with John Mattis that's coming up and we were talking about Johnny Goodrow and sort of how he has basically made Elias Lindholm into a 30, 35, maybe even 40 goal scorer mm-hmm. this year just by getting him in the puck in the right areas. And I feel like sometimes the way we talk about stars, especially guys that make other guys around them better, um, we don't do them enough justice based on sort of this whole team concept. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, let, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot for a right. second. Um, Connor McDavid, yeah. if he's out for the Edmonton Oilers, do you have any any idea what he's worth in terms of a percentage? How much does the Edmonton Oilers percentage chance of winning a game against an average team decrease? Um, well, I'm not sure if I can give you that answer from a percentage perspective. What I will say is that when he's on the ice, I think they are one of the best, if not the best teams in the league. Yep. And when he's not on the ice, they're unequivocally the worst team in the NHL. So, I'm not sure from a betting perspective what percentage that would drop down to, but I imagine it's pretty extreme. So when McDavid's been out for the Oilers, the betting market reacts by about 3%. Right, because he missed that one game with the flu recently, I believe. They make the Oilers about 3% worse than they would be against a league average team. Okay, That is nothing compared to any other sport. Right, It's nothing compared to an NBA player, like you said. Now, NBA is a little bit different. Shorter lineups. not Right, one guy can play like three quarters of a game. Quarterbacks in the NFL. But I'm just going to run. Uh, I have my laptop up in front of me here, and I'm going to take three percent off the Oilers and tell you where I where they fit into the league according to my projections, and they wouldn't even be in the top in the bottom five of the league right now. Right. Does so, that pass the sniff test for me? Maybe, maybe mm, not, because right. Oilers don't have a whole lot of talent. I mean, this is Koskinen in net. We still don't know what he is. Right. Defensively, this is including Clefbaum being out for them. Um, but there are so many. There are so many measures of a player impact right now that it's really, it's very, very difficult to tell you what a player is worth in the NHL. Um, if there's cluster injuries in the, on a team, three of the top six forwards being out for a team, it's so hard to value uh, what a player that's jumping up from the fourth or third line into a first or second line role, what that downgrade is. Right. There's a million things that go into it right now. And this is one of the struggles with actually modeling the NHL as it is. Yeah, well, that's the type of thing I was thinking about, like, for example, when Buffalo got the first overall pick this year, and everyone was talking about Rasmus Dahlin and sort of his impact on the team. And obviously, you know, they're kind of handling with kid gloves so far, and he's not necessarily playing that many minutes. But I just thought, like, the net positive of adding him would be so big, just obviously adding a great player is one thing. But then its effect on the guys around him, where a guy like Rasmus or Salainen, who I don't think is very good, Probably some of that, his underlying numbers had to do with the fact that he was being asked to play as a top pairing defenseman against the other team's best players. All of a sudden, you bump him down into a more secondary role. Maybe he thrives. And then there's this like domino effect. And I feel like sometimes we don't necessarily do a great job of accounting for that. And I mean, there's obviously a lot that goes into it. And there's still tons of debates about quality of competition versus quality of teammates and what's more valuable mm-hmm. and, and all that. But you're right. I mean, that kind of just clouds the picture and makes it i mean that's part of our job as analysts or better is to try to figure out what is valuable but i mean i mean uh, like josh levo was traded by the leafs uh right uh, a few weeks ago or yep. less than a week ago yep. or whatever and i think josh levo is a good player mm-hmm. but how much of that has been josh levo playing fourth line minutes or third line minutes against other teams third and fourth lines who are worse than the leafs third and fourth lines i mean that certainly has some sort of impact it's not like levo is playing large minutes against um 
now you, you know large minutes against second liners first liners that's yep. not happening um it's kind of it, it also and i hate to use the leaf examples but <laughs> I, I do i'm a, a diehard leafs fan i watch every leafs game so i mean that's what sticks with me but it, it kind of reminds me of when tyler bozak was their number one center right and his metrics were terrible but he was in a role where he was put up against players that were better than him. He should have never been a number one center. And in a third line center role, he's extremely valuable to a team, or at least more valuable than if he's in a first line center. So there's so much that comes into play in hockey um, that makes it more complex than valuing other sports, I'm, I'm, especially some other sports. I mean, football is extremely complex as well because you can have two or three injuries on an offensive line yeah. um, that impact the game, but really hard to say how much because you have small sample sizes on backups and there's so much that goes into it. But it, it just goes to show, I think, not only in hockey, um, more so in hockey than some other sports. But yeah, we are... I, we're not close to figuring out those problems yet. And we may we may not. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of, uh, with more data available and a lot of analytics people involved, there's going to be a lot of healthy debates yeah. about what is right and what is wrong. Uh, and I, for one, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's what I enjoy. I think that's part of the fun. I mean, I tell this to people all the time, but, and it's because a common sort of straw man argument you get from the other side is, you know, the numbers don't tell you the full story, everything. And, and I think any... Any stats person that tells you otherwise is full of it and you should run away from their advice because I would never tell anyone that I have a great grasp on the league and everything that's happening. Like I follow it on a daily basis. I eat, breathe, sleep hockey, and I still, there's so much unknown and so much happening. And that's part of the fun. If we knew it, it, it would be boring, right? Like it was like if everyone had the answer in a formula, all of a sudden, what, why would they even play the games? Right. I, I mean, I, and that's, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that's what the the unknown makes it interesting and, yep. and striving to find answers to the questions that no one has found answers to yet. Uh, it kind of sucks for me. And this is sort of like a personal thing, but because of what I do and because I uh, betting is such a big part of my livelihood and my income, um, I can't really get involved in a lot of the discussions. Mm. And as, um, as a fan that, I mean, that's the toughest thing for me is I'd love to, but I always risk giving away too much. Right. Um, and I'll do it in sports where I'm I'm not betting as much, especially football. I mean, I, I yeah, you're do, you're killing it with the uh, with the periscopes. I do enjoy doing them. I don't bet nearly as much on football. I'm not hurting my edge by doing those. But the NHL market is fairly small. There's not a lot of people that are betting it heavily. Um, only about a handful of groups that are moving real money on NHL, and. I feel like everything I say in regards to that could negatively impact me right? Um, because people are listening. When I was posting my model numbers publicly, someone was betting them on screen and moving lines. And that's sort of how I got involved in this in the first place was somebody reaching out to me and saying, no, you need to stop posting your stuff publicly because it's affecting our ability to bet on the game. <laughs> that's literally how it all started for me. So um, I mean, that's the, uh, is sort of like a, a tangent I've gone off to here, but it, that's what kind of bothers me or irks me a little bit right. about, um, about what I do, because there's so many great discussions to be had. I follow some great guys on Twitter that, I mean, the work that they're doing is, is fantastic, but I'd love to engage them a little bit more, <laughs> but I, I really can't. I'm not in a position to do that. Um, let's take a quick break here from a sponsor and we're going to, uh, finish up this conversation another end. Getting tickets to sporting events can be far too complicated. With hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability, how do you know who to trust out there? 
That's why SeatGeek's so clutch because they're going to take all the guesswork out of it for you by doing all the work. SeatGeek's going to pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you're looking for for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek's going to get you closer to their action for a great value. Not only does SeatGeek identify the best seats that fit your budget with their grading system, but every purchase is also fully guaranteed so you can shop with supreme confidence knowing that what you pay for is what you're going to get. That's why you need to make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. We're in that gift-giving part of the year now with Christmas approaching and it's going to make for a great opportunity for you to get in on the action and get someone significant in your life that you hold near and dear to your heart tickets to go watch their favorite team play live in person. Um, and the best part is, is that I know that all the prices and all the costs are going to add up as you get all these gifts around this time of year. And SeatGeek is going to, you know, make that a little bit easier for you by giving you a little bit of a discount just because you're a PDOcast listener. So as my listener, you're going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. To get in on it, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to Rob Pizzola on the Hockey PDO cast. Okay. Um, so I, I was venting to you t- the other day. I, I slid into your DMs and I was telling you about uh, my trials and tribulations with uh, with playing daily fantasy. And I know you were you're telling me that you don't do it anymore, but uh, I did want to get into a little bit here because mm-hmm. it kind of ties into our conversation. It's obviously slightly different than actually betting on the outcomes of games, but I mean, you're trying to p- predict basically performance and you're putting money down on the line and the person who does a better job of predicting it is going to come out at the victor. So it's sim- a similar concept. Um I feel like the league hasn't done nearly a good enough job. And I feel like for the most part, I think the NFL is the only one that's really doing a good job in this regard. But obviously with fantasy football being king in North America, um, that's part of it. But now even when I watch these pregame shows, like they've got actual fantasy analysts on to talk about the price for a player on a given day and who you should have in your lineup and matchups and stuff like that. And obviously it's easier considering it's only happening really once a week. So like really key in on it. And on a night to night basis, when there's eight games, one night and then 10 games, one other night, it's like, it's free flowing and fast. And so there's a certain element of it to that. But I think in terms of driving fan engagement, and we're always looking in hockey to, um, especially in the American market to, capture the attention of more casual fans and bring them on board because hockey is such a fun, fast-paced sport. And I feel like that's an area where the league could do a much better job of capturing casual fans and driving that engagement you were talking about. They might be able to, but it's tough for that. You hit the nail on the head with the NFL. The NFL has a huge competitive advantage in that they have each team plays one game a week. So what happens with fantasy players is they spend their entire week doing research and they don't have that luxury with the NHL or NBA or MLB where they have to just start guys every day and it becomes overwhelming. That's the problem. I mean, NFL, if I want to take a break on Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, it it doesn't really impact my lineups for the week. I can do my DFS one day a week and that's it. Mm -hmm. So they, they have a competitive advantage in that sense. Can the NHL do better with fantasy? Absolutely. It's a market that they should attack. Um, consistently we see i mean especially nhl dfs it's just not as big nearly as big as any other sport um is it because of the lack of interest in nhl compared to other sports uh, across north america yeah that's part of it um but i just I, i'm trying to think of like if i see any promotions of fantasy i know tsn in canada does like yeah. 
some fantasy tracker. I've never actually checked that out in my life. Yeah. Nor would they do I. like a, a draft before the season right, with all the insiders. Right. Like, yeah, it's, it, and that's not going to interest anyone. Yeah. That's just like a sponsored draft or right. whatever that they do. Um, but aside from that, there's really not a whole lot. So sure, there's a there's room for opportunity there. They could really market that around Saturday nights. Um, if if the major DFS companies, DraftKings, FanDuel did some, they do do some Saturday night stuff, but yep. maybe market it specifically to Canadians and run some larger tournaments in their running. Potentially, there's something there for sure. Well, did you read um, Dan Barbarisi's uh, Dueling with Kings book that came out about, about a year or two ago? This is a sad uh, statement I'm going to make, but I I don't read. Okay. I don't read okay, okay. unless it's for a specific right. purpose. Unless it's some, I'm going to gain some sort of knowledge that's going to help me. Yeah. I'm very targeted. I right. read fiction. I don't. Like, <laughs> I, I even most of the articles. I, I'm I'm really bad. Uh, it's not an attention span thing. It's just it's a time thing. It sounds yeah. so sad, but it's hard for me to spend time. No, I get it. I mean, there's so many things uh, attracting our attention these days. No, I, I get it. But um, it, it kind of got on my radar for whatever reason. And, and basically, for those of you out there who haven't read it but are interested in doing so, I, I highly recommend it. He basically was a sports writer, and he was fascinated by the whole concept of daily fantasy. Mm-hmm. And he quit his job and tried to become a pro in the daily fantasy world and kind of documented his own trials and tribulations. And he was doing so in NHL, actually. And it was fascinating and sort of... I've made my first initial foray into it this year, just mostly for fun. I'm not trying to uh, become a multimillionaire and go to all these exotic places to play in tournaments, but I think it's kind of fun in terms of, especially if you're watching the games to kind of make you cheer for certain stuff, especially when you become a jaded sports writer that doesn't care about the results anymore. It's interesting that you brought that up because one of the few books I've read in my life and one of the most interesting to me was a very, very similar concept. It's a book called Trading Bases by Joe Pita. Mm Mm-hmm. And essentially, this this cha- it actually was a life changing book for me. Completely changed the way that I looked at sports betting. And essentially, Joe Pita was a Wall Street trader that um, got hit by a car and uh, broke both legs or something like that. And he was forced to just be at home. And he was a baseball fan. He said, "Why can't I apply a lot of my learnings from Wall Street into baseball?" And he developed a model to bet on baseball. Right now, a lot of the stuff in there—I mean, it's outdated. It's not really going to help you win, but it just gets you into the mindset of actually modeling sports using data um, to arrive at projected outcomes on games. And this sounds very similar, except rather than sports betting, it's DFS. So, right. I mean, it's probably something that's right up my alley. And you, you, I mean, in 30 seconds, you talked about it, you sold me on it. I probably will give it a read at some point because it sounds interesting, but, um, it's, uh, it's just, it, there, there's, there's so much going on right now in this space and, uh, it's hard to keep up with, with everything, but for sure with DFS, it's uh, it's an opportunity for leagues. The, the struggle for me, and I'm I'm going off onto so many tangents. No, go here, for it. That's what podcasts are all about. Um, the struggle for me with any hockey DFS. So I pl- I played DFS for a living before I started exclusively sports betting for a living, and I tried to do the overlap between both, and I just don't have the time for yeah. both. So I picked sports betting because I had an, a higher ROI at that point. The struggle with hockey DFS is that there is so much variance. Yeah. Um, there are so few scoring events in hockey that it just be it, it's not luck based. There's skill involved, course, but yeah. there's more luck involved. 
than in some other sports, especially surrounding empty net goals. Yeah. Like teams now pull their goalie with like four minutes left, a couple empty net goals, and it, it, it it's that's a, a fiasco and a nightmare in and of itself. There's just so much that goes into it. And also with the late scratches in hockey, the injury reporting is terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. You have no idea who guys are pl- how guys are playing some night. Game time decision here. This guy has the flu bug. We don't know if he's going to play. It's And it's bad across all sports leagues. But, man, I can't tell you how many times I sat at a computer at, like, 6.45 just <laughs> refreshing uh, a Twitter list I have built of all the NHL beat writers to see who's in a lineup and yeah. who's out of lineup, trying to guess what line they're going to play on. It's That's that's the struggle. It drives you insane. I mean, I uh, yeah, like I've, I've been playing kind of casually once or twice a week or whatever, and I was telling you about this, but I wanted to share with the listeners where I believe it was, like, two Saturdays ago, maybe three Saturdays ago, and literally, like, two minutes before puck drop, I decided to switch uh, Matthew Joseph or Dominic Simone, which is like the most niche uh, <laughs> NHL nerd problem quandary to have. Yep. And um, Matthew Joseph had like two goals and an assist or something, and Dominic Simone did nothing. And the difference for that was it went from five thousand dollars winnings to like eight bucks or something. And like I'm not playing; like it's not going to be a life changing summer or anything. Right. But like it just drove me crazy that that one random decision influenced my outcome in that way. And I understand like as a kind of hot-headed Eastern European. Like, I, I've, I've struggled with those fluctuations on a game-to-game basis. Well, and I know that in betting and in DFS, you really have to embrace the fact that you're playing this over a long haul and you can't just be going, like, one event at a time. I think the one of the... Only people who play DFS will know what I'm talking about. But I think one of the biggest problems or mistakes, I should say, that you can make when playing DFS is looking at your contest winnings yeah. in live games. Yeah. I've had I've lost a hundred thousand dollars in live winnings from a guy like blowing a tire coming out of the pits in NASCAR. I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah, like, you just see your account going from like winning a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to a thousand, yeah. or like even less. Like it's crazy. I'm not built to handle those swings. For those who do play DFS and are regularly refreshing to see where they stand. I don't know how you do it. Like you're gonna, you'll die before you're 50 if you do that. Yeah. It's like it's a guarantee. I would put money down on it. It's just so much anxiety associated with checking your contest winnings. Oh yeah, I mean, daily fantasy ruins your life. With that being said, I'd appreciate everyone listening. Go to FanDuel.com/pdo. Let them know we sent you, and uh, you'll get a deposit bonus and uh, come play against me. Um, that was a shameless little plug there. Oh, you slipped it in there good. Like, yeah, very- good time. It was on point. Like it's not like you you went off track. I'm like- just kidding. I highly recommend not getting into daily fantasy if you don't no. play it drives me crazy I, all i would say is this i mean if you're going to play daily fantasy there's do it, do it for fun i think exactly yeah. or uh, you should it's tough but if, if you're if you're playing daily fantasy don't go with the expectation that you're going to win a lot right. of money or if you're playing these tournaments to win a million dollars or whatever it's extremely unlikely like it's it's, it's a lottery ticket right yeah. but just like with sports betting very few people win less than one yeah. percent of people win so you have to go in knowing that and if you're recreational and you're not using sophisticated models or something along those lines, chances are like it's extremely likely you're not going to win. But that doesn't mean don't play. I mean, I have friends that know they're not going to win, but it's entertainment. Yeah. Like instead of going and spend $15 on a movie ticket, they they spend five, 10 bucks a night in front of a TV, yeah. enter a hockey You care game. about games you would yeah, never have cared about before. I mean, yeah. it, it is, it's an expense at the end of the day. They're probably not going to win, but I mean... And it sounds a little like 
degenerate, but it's it's entertainment. Like you have, it's, you have it's, no idea how many Edmonton uh, Ottawa Senators games I've been invested in this year because they are daily fantasy heaven because they're giving up every goal and they're scoring every goal and just stacking against them and playing their their guys has been very beneficial. But I otherwise would never have really cared that much, and now I'm just watching these games like cheering for Wayne Simmons to score. I wonder why the NHL is getting into sports betting. Yeah. This is exactly exactly why. Yeah. because yeah, I, w- I I mean I'd never watch a Senators game. I'm not going to watch half, half these teams in the league like LA I know I, I, it's like watching so paint dry I'd rather do yeah. than watch a, a Kings the Wild are a good team I still don't even want to watch their games so now all of a sudden you add a little bit of excitement to it opportunity to win money oh sure I'll, I'll watch a King what was I watching last night Ducks stars like Klingberg is out a terrible yeah. hockey game and it's just like I'm tuned in like I'm invested yeah. now so I mean, no it's true I think it, it I mean it's kind of a bit of a blessing and a curse but like I think there's a lot of people listening to this show right now or that follow us on Twitter that think they know they're convinced that they know significantly more about hockey than us and think we're idiots and and and, and so obviously that'll lead to a lot of people getting into betting and and DFS to try their hand at that and I think that's a good thing but I think sometimes people can delude themselves into thinking maybe they know a little bit more than they actually do. I think that's just general for sports fans. Sports yeah. fans have an ego. It yeah. is what it is. Mo- there's the vast majority of people think they know more than someone else. Um, I remember when I first started posting my models publicly, the comments I would get and people who still do that. I mean, I look at the comments and it's, there's like, <laughs> I don't know why you continue to do that every day, but there's, um, there's people that just don't understand probability, yeah. like a basic concept. Like I'm not saying a team is going to win. I'm saying they have a 60% chance to win. If yeah. they played this game five times, they'd win three out of five. That's a very, very difficult concept for someone to grasp. It goes way over their head. You you pick a team to win and say they have they have an edge as a favorite and they lose, you get the, what an oh. idiot. Oh, like, Dom's, Dom, you... Dom's mentions are hilarious oh. when that happens. Like, I, I tell him, I mean, Dom is, a, I went to a Leafs game with him a few weeks back. Um, I consider him a friend. I'm like, what? And I understand, and I don't want to get talking about Dom, and I understand why just people in, do, in general do it. And it's the same reason I did. I mean, I was trying to build a following. I was right. trying to build my own brand. And, yep. and Dom does a good job with that. But, man, you got to start muting some people. or Like, it's tough. It's tough dealing with people, with sports fans in general, who are always adamant that they're right. Yeah. I mean, like when I flew here to Toronto from Vancouver, I wasn't on the plane thinking I better go in the cockpit and fly this plane because right. this, this pilot has no idea what he's doing. Right. But people watch games. And this is another thing, another tangent by me. There's this mentality that I watch the games, therefore I know what's going to happen in the future. Right. And it, I'll t- the best NBA better I've ever encountered in my life does not watch the NBA, mm-hmm. period. Not a single game. He wouldn't be caught dead watching an NBA game. He has the best return on investment I've ever seen or like personally seen from anyone who does NBA. It's a huge fallacy. Right. You need to watch the games to, wi- to, to win. Or if I do watch the games, I know. And honestly, when I was young, when I was a teenager, I lost a lot of money betting on sports for that exact reason. I watched so much hockey, so much football. I always thought I was so confident I knew what was going to happen. That's not the way it works. If you don't take a, a, a mathematical, I don't want to say 100% of winning sports bettors take a mathematical approach, but it's the most likely uh, outcome or scenario that's going to lead to path to success. And a lot of people just, I mean, I hear it all the time, just these 
lazy narratives. Oh, it's the father's road trip. Like the fathers <laughs> are all going to watch the game. Like how is this team going to possibly lose? Or the first game after a coach got fired and the team yeah. is going to play harder or the team lot, they got blown out by five goals last week. Last game, you're going to see uh, an increased effort. You get all these narratives and all of it is fluff. Man. It's really fluff. And when you take a mathematical approach and you remove yourself from that and you just start to say, this is what my model says. I'm going to trust the number and you've proven to win over time. That's probably the best way you can go about betting over sports. Yeah. On sports. I mean, I feel like I'm probably just too close to the situation because I do follow hockey more closely than other sports, but I feel like hockey is subject to much more of that than we see in others. Like there's just so much like psychoanalyzing and buying into emotions and sort of these storylines and you'll watch any broadcast and they'll be kind of like zoning in on this one random tangential thing that obviously has no outcome on the bearing of the game, but they're acting like this factor is going to change everything for this team. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to rag on people and I watch a ton of NHL broadcasts, but a lot of the analysis you get is misinformed or just it's, it's like, I, I like to say fluff a lot. It's mm-hmm. fluff. It's, yeah. it's stuff that is meaningless to the outcome of the game. Um, and I think honestly, watching the games sometimes does you a disservice because you develop this inherent bias. You watch a team play one or two times and they play like garbage. You don't want to bet on the teams anymore. Right. This happens to me all the time. I just, I, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, please, God, do not like give me a bet on the Detroit Red Wings today or the LA Kings or whatever, like, because I've watched them and they stink. Yeah. But at some, at, there, there gets to a point where it, you make bets based on price and probability. And yeah, the Kings are probably going to lose this game, you know, seven times out of 10. But if I'm getting offered the right price, I'm going to take it. And you remove the human element from the equation. Because once you start watching games, you develop these biases. You know teams are good. You don't want to bet against them, even though the price might be offering you value to bet against them. There's there's just so much that goes into it. But uh, it's... It's funny because I just laugh at the, at the guys that are like, oh, I, I watch like I watch three hockey games a night. And it's like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't matter if you can't put a price or a probability on these teams winning the next game. I yeah. don't care how much hockey you watch. Right. It's useless. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah. I mean, it, you you do. It really needs to. Um, it's a testament to sort of um, how you can emotionally distance yourself from it. Because like I. I I bet much more in the NFL than I do in anything just because I can kind of, kind of distance myself and have fun with it as a fan. And I'm watching on Sundays and I'm cheering for certain things. And like, I find myself like betting a spread where a team is like a 14 point underdog just because I feel like they're going to cover that. But then you're ultimately left rooting for this disastrous quarterback. And sure. you're just like, I can't, I can't take one more three and out. I'm going to throw my remote up against my TV and break my screen. But you're like, from a numbers perspective, it makes this bet make sense. But it's pretty rough to watch. <laughs> well, I get it. And, and, and like the NFL more so than any other sport is the, is the league of overreactions. Like people only remember what they saw last week right. in the NFL. It, a, a recreational player is like, oh my God, like how is this team going to possibly lose to this terrible team when they beat the Patriots last week? It's like, well, I mean, teams play one good game or one bad game. It happens. There's variance in sports. Uh, like there's so much that uh, so many things that affect the outcome of a single game and if you're just looking and using single games i mean god help you it's it's not going to end well but we see that in the nfl i see it in the nhl uh i uh the score the, the score a company i used to yes. work for they in their box scores they now have a chat feature mm-hmm. for nhl yep. which they added like a month ago 
it has got to be the worst <laughs> chat imaginable on, on the face of the earth. I mean, if you go into one of those during the course of a game and see the comments, it is it, it will drive you to insanity within like one minute because of all the things you will read that make no sense whatsoever. And it's along those lines, like how could Pittsburgh beat or like how could the Kings beat, I don't know, who's the the lightning and then lose to this team or whatever. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's almost like those factors aren't related exactly, at all. <laughs> right? It's just completely random or like ignoring the fact that maybe when they they beat this good team, that good team was playing a back to back or a three and four or four and six or was playing a backup goalie. Right. Like there's context. People are lacking context. They strictly look at the results of the games. Buffalo, perfect example. Buffalo Sabres. The Sabres, they're not good. I mean, they. I, I, I don't want to offend Sabres fans. You guys have been through enough. I feel bad for the city of Buffalo. I hope that that franchise, I mean, I don't want them to be better than Leafs or anything, but I hope that they eventually get the success. But they go on this, this win streak. I mean, they probably should have lost two-thirds of those games. Right. And it creates this perception that, like, Buffalo is back, and you're getting force-fed that. I mean, you watch SportsCenter or SportsNet Central, whatever, ESPN, uh, and that's, I mean, Win streak, win streak, win streak. That's right. all you hear. This team is winning, but there's no context. It's not like they got badly outplayed. And yeah. They got outshot 40 to 16 and they won a game. Just win, or, baby. That's it. And that's what people gravitate to. Um, and, and as a better, that's probably why I still have an edge in the marketplace because there's enough people out there that are still leaning on those things. Yeah. I mean, one of those factors we're talking about that's fluff is, you know, the concept of one wins in one goal games or close games, right? And if you're looking at it logically, you're thinking, okay, well, we know that this stuff evens out over the long haul. And if a team has just won and in that 10 game win streak, I believe like seven or eight or nine of the games were shootout overtime, one goal games and Buffalo won all of them. And I was reading, I was overwhelmed with articles that were basically positioning it as the Sabres finally have a winning culture. They finally, the guys they brought in after years of losing, they now learned how to win. Right. And we hear that all the time. And I'm sure there's like some psychological element to, especially for the Sabres who are historically bad in those Timur years, I'm sure coming to the rink every day sucked. You probably knew you were going to get blown out and you were going to be a historical footnote and that must have been a crappy feeling. And I'm sure just being mediocre is a great step in the right direction from where right. you came from before. So I'm not downplaying that, but just this idea that teams that win close games more often than not are all of a sudden... Uh, have this clutch gene is just the, one of the most infuriating things that happens in all sports. Well, I, I mean, I can go on forever. I could think of a million examples in the NHL. Like Paul Maurice, as an example, has been the worst coach and the best coach in the league at some point. Yeah. Because of his team's record. Right. It's if, if a team is winning, the coach is amazing. Yeah. Like he's doing a great job. He's pulling no all one, the right no strings. No one can fathom the fact, and this, I get into this argument every year. Um, who was it that in baseball, the Dodgers just signed Dave Roberts to an extension. Mm -hmm. I think Dave Roberts is a terrible manager, but people will be like, well, oh, Dodgers won whatever 97 games last year. How can you say that? Well, if he has a 110 win roster and wins 97 games, that's not a good coaching job. And that's very hard for people to comprehend or wrap their head around. This team is winning green Bay Packers. Why did Mike, Mark, Mike McCarthy last as the head coach of the Packers for so long? Cause they're winning. Are they winning because of him? No. If anything, they should have more wins than they do have with arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time yep. just being wasted away. But he survives. And for a, it, it took people a long 
it took till this year for the general public to realize Mike McCarthy is not a good coach. <laughs> if you asked anyone before yeah. this year, oh, McCarthy, yeah, great, great. He won a Super Bowl. Of course. But that's just, I mean, it all comes back to wins and losses. No one can understand variance. Yeah. I, I don't want to say no one, and, and I don't want to paint people in a bad yes. picture. The yeah. vast majority of people, they just don't understand that, or they equate um, winning to things that are just non-existent or admit, refuse to admit that there's luck involved. Yeah. And there is luck involved in every sport. Yeah. Period. And whether you want to admit it or not, if a team goes 10 and 0 in overtime and shootout, they, it's like flipping 10 heads in a row. Well, yeah. And I think on an individual basis, and I feel like hockey really is subject to this and you see this on broadcasts all the time. And I've heard from people who are on these broadcasts occasionally and sort of the common refrain is like, we understand the concept of this, but we only have a limited amount of time, so we can't get into it. But the concept that like a shooting percentage, if a guy is on fire and he's scored on five of his last eight shots, like that's generally painted as like a positive thing that a guy is on fire, that he's converting at this astronomical clip of shots. And meanwhile, you look at that and you go, okay, that probably means that he's due for like three straight games of not scoring on 12 shots. And I just don't understand why we can't do a better job of storytelling from that perspective, because what frustrates me is I feel like a lot of casual fans watch these games and they kind of take it as gospel what's said on them. And I feel like it's a disservice to them and everyone when this misinformation is being spread. It is for sure. I mean, like that's stats 101, yeah. right? Small sample size. Yeah. Eight shots. Like you're not telling me anything. Yeah. We goaltenders save percentage stabilizes after like 3000 shots. So when people say like, this guy is garbage because he's let in nine goals in the past two games. I mean, small sample size, <laughs> right. but, but you will have people tell you, oh, this guy's hot. He's not seeing the puck. Yeah. He's not seeing the puck right now. Like, and part of it is, I hate to say it, but it's like this, this old boys club, especially in the NHL where all the analysts are ex players. Yeah. And I, uh, this is going to sound really poor and whatever. I'll say it anyways, but a lot of them are low IQ hmm. and I, I'm, I again, whatever it come it'll come across as what it is. But these are people who don't understand what right. like certain metrics or that a sample size is smaller, and they've played the game and they feel that these things matter, and that's fine. I completely understand that. But this, this is the culture of not only hockey broadcasts but all sports in general. Um, you see this all the time. Just. Uh, uh, try to find me a color commentator in a game that didn't play or wasn't a coach or some like it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's not, I mean, maybe one day it will happen where some, some person that is truly well-respected as a um, statistician or a mathematician is put in a box to give his comments on the game. And maybe it'll be a completely different perspective that people will gravitate to. Maybe they won't because yeah. they're used to it tra in a traditional sense, but yeah, that's, that's the issue. I watch a lot of games on mute. I'm yeah. not, I'm not, scared to admit that i'll put on music in the background and put up a few games on the tv or i'll mute the games and play my guitar while i'm watching because i can't stand it man it yeah. bothers me no some of the commentary and i rail on this on twitter all the time but there's certain uh broadcasts out there that are just abominations yeah. and it's, it's it's really tough to listen to and i i do think i get what you're saying i think there's um there's something that ex-players can add uh, in terms of a storytelling perspective right. and anecdotes and, you know, they yeah. can share stories of, oh, this happened back when I was playing. But I just I just want to hear a more well-rounded approach of you should have someone else in the in the studio or in the broadcast booth that can sort of bounce back against that and go, well, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not that important. Maybe you felt so when you were playing, but now 
things have changed. Or, Times have changed. Or, or for me, I'd just like to see an evolution. Like, yeah. uh, and this is this is completely biased because he's a friend of mine and I worked with him. But Justin Bourne, to mm-hmm. me, is one of the best oh, hockey writers yeah. on the planet. Yeah. What he does is fantastic. I don't read a lot. I read everything Justin Bourne does. Yeah. I, his breakdowns of the X's and O's are fantastic. He's He's got the right mix, in my opinion, of understanding that he played the game and maybe not at the pro level because he was injured and, and but he played yeah um he's worked with with the marlies he worked in the league so has an understanding of that but he's sort of embraced the the stats side of things yeah. as well and i think it's a perfect blend i'm not saying somebody needs to like the broadcast need to be a hundred percent analytics driven because yeah. no one wants to hear that and frankly it gets tiresome after a while regardless but someone who can bring both those qualities to the table so a little bit of experience, understanding the game from an X's and O's perspective, plus understanding the metrics that are available and using them um, to outline players' play. To me, he's fantastic. I, I, I mean, I'd love to see him work on a broadcast one day. I, I mean, he would be the ideal person for me to listen to yeah. while I'm watching a game. But there's just there's very few people that have uh, that breadth of of knowledge about the game. Yeah, no, you're right. Justin's the best, and. Uh... Yeah, I'd love to see it. Um, all right, Rob, let's um, let's get out of here. Um, where can people follow you online? I, usually I have other writers. I'm like, oh, what are you working on next? And, I got nothing that, to promote. I yes. really don't have anything to promote. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Rob Pizzola, that's P-I-Z-Z or Z-Z, yep. if you're in the States, O-L-A. Um, I'm not the greatest follow on Twitter. I post. You're entertaining. I enjoy following. I think I am, but I used to. I used to be really like I used to live tweet like Dallas Cowboys games. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Right. Man, that was. uh, I don't want to get back to that, but I (laughs) I still do every now and then. But uh, I I try to post. I try to be helpful. Uh, One thing I will say, and I say this on every program I'm ever on, um, even if you don't want to follow me or you have a question about sports betting or you want to know something more about hockey. my DMs are open. That's done intentionally. If you ever want to ask me a question and you're embarrassed about something or want to know more about something, feel free to DM me and I will get back to you um, and try to give you some insights. Well, I highly co-sign that and encourage that. We're uh, we're entering a brave new world here and I feel like we're going to be talking about sports betting a lot more and um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited and obviously your insight's going to be uh, very valuable on that topic. Appreciate it. I hope so. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, it's an exciting time. Yes, it is. I, I'm, I'm worried but I'm excited. Cautiously optimistic. I, it's, a, it's a little bit of, of both. I mean, for, for those who've bet on sports for a long time, like how can you not be excited that this is being widely embraced now? Yeah. It's, it is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, you're being like acknowledged and vindicated. I don't want people to get good at betting on sports. I just bet on it, have a good time, <laughs> and enjoy it. But don't be too good. Yeah, keep drinking that beer and keep yeah, placing like, those bets. You know, and listen to those analysts that are telling you about a team's will to win and the desire that they have in the playoffs and and whatever other narratives you're getting fed. Listen to them. All right, man. Well, I uh, I'm glad we finally did this, and um, I'm going to keep you. Um, as our uh, as the PDO cast official betting expert. So if uh, sure, if there's yeah. any new developments with the NHL in this regard, we're going to have you back on. I mean, good enough for Elliot Friedman. I, I good enough for the PDO cast. Got to be. Cheers. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com/hockeypdocast. Mm-hmm.